Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. I invite you to be seated. Um, Our uh, middle school. Sunday School class actually prepared a video for today, uh, a reinterpretation in modern terms of our gospel reading that we just had, and uh, we're going to see that now. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm uh, probably biased, but... Um, Ted, you want to put that picture up? Uh, I'm probably biased, but uh, I think our golden retriever, Charlie, was one of the cutest puppies of all time. (laughs) But uh, don't be misled by his fluffy good looks. Charlie was a bugger. Charlie was cute and fluffy and fun, and he was also completely mischievous. When we got him, we readied our house with a crate and bowls and food and leashes. We gathered up about 20 or so dog toys Some we had had from our previous dogs, some old baby toys, a few new ones. They were hard and soft and squeaky and silent, everything a dog could want. 
but Charlie always wanted the one thing he shouldn't have, whether it was socks or books or laundries or chewing rocks. He had an amazing sense for finding and chewing the most fragile or most expensive or most harmful thing, the thing that made the biggest mess. Whatever it was, he would find it. Uh, these days, as an older dog, his illicit item of choice is paper. He will dive into the recycling bin and leave a dusting of pieces of paper all around the house. That and licking the dirty utensil thing in the dishwasher when it's open. As soon as he entered our house, Charlie just seemed to know he didn't have to learn it. It was just instinct to relentlessly pursue the one thing that he's not supposed to have. And watching Charlie then and now, I couldn't help but think of our first reading for today. God tells Adam, you can have everything you want in the Garden of Eden except the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You get the entire garden all to yourself, every animal, every fruit, every vegetable, every mineral in this place. You get it all except the fruit from this one tree. And I'm going to put it in the middle of the garden so you know which one it is. And what do they do? They eat the fruit, the one thing they couldn't have. The story of Adam and Eve is one of the foundational stories in the Bible and of our faith. It serves as an explanation of where sin and all its consequences, suffering and death began. It has been for thousands of years a source of inspiration and endless debate in art, theology, literature, and science. And for me, Genesis is less like a history textbook and more like a great work of literature. And like any great literature, it reveals something about ourselves and what it means to be human. It is a book about the origins of the human condition and human nature. In this story, Adam and Eve are reflections of ourselves, our children, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, who all came before us, and maybe even, in my case, my pet. Rather than being grateful for all that we have, we often fixate on what we don't. Like Charlie, we relentlessly pursue the one thing we can't have. And that one thing, ultimately, is to be like God. For when the serpent tells Adam and Eve, you will be like God, knowing good and evil, they simply could not resist. And who wouldn't want to be like God? To be like God would be to possess anything, to live forever, to know and to control, to be respected and feared and obeyed and loved, to be independent and self-sufficient, to judge and always get your way. Who wouldn't want that? But this desire makes us do all kinds of stupid stuff, and it gets us into a ton of trouble. The desire to be like God is the root of every kind of evil, and it's the granddaddy of every other sin. This single-minded pursuit of the things or the one things we can't have is something Martin Luther called the bondage of the will. Uh, Luther was himself well acquainted with sin. As a young monk, he spent hours upon hours in confession until finally his confessor famously told him one day to shut up and give it a break. Luther argued that the human will is bound to sin, both bound to do it and in bondage to it, that we're sinners and saints at the same time. And given the choice between choosing ourselves or God, we will most of the time choose ourselves. 
Now, at first, the idea of being doomed to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors, including Adam and Eve, is pretty depressing. But truly, it is a grace. For the bondage of the will is the precursor, the prerequisite to the Lutheran belief that we are justified or made right with God by grace through faith, apart from anything that we do. We are saved by God's grace alone and nothing that we do. We can never earn God's love or salvation, and so it is all grace. It is all forgiveness, all mercy. In our second reading from Romans, Paul describes Jesus as the new Adam, the one who gets it right. He writes, just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous, that's Jesus. And so he says, if sin and death came through Adam, freedom and grace come through Christ. And we see it in our gospel reading in the story of his own temptation about how Jesus corrects Adam and Eve's and our mistake. In fact, Jesus was far worse off, right? He wasn't in the Garden of Eden. He was alone in a desert after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The desert, which is the symbol of where sin puts us, alone, hungry, and desolate. And so into this time in the desert, the devil comes to Jesus in his weakened state and tries to make a deal. First, as if to rub it in, he tempts him with food. He says, if you're really God's son, turn these stones to bread. Second, if you are God's son, throw yourself down from the temple and fall into the arms of the angels. And finally, I will give you the whole world if you just bow down and worship me. And each time, Jesus resists the temptation. He resists the temptation to prove that he is indeed God's son and refuses to put God to the test. Each time, Jesus refuses the way of power and privilege as God's son. He lays down his birthright to divine power so that he can show us his divine love. He makes the choice that Adam and Eve and we could not. And so Jesus, here in the desert before his public ministry even begins, starts to right the wrongs of Adam and Eve, begins to redeem and save our humanity. He is becoming the new Adam and will, in the end, take on another tree, the tree of death, the cross, and turn it into the tree of life. This morning, we observed the first Sunday in Lent, a season that originated in the early church as a period of time, 40 days, leading up to Easter, where adults would prepare for baptism. And so it is a time in which we are meant to reflect and embrace what this new life in Christ is for us again. It is a time of realigning our allegiances from the old Adam to the new Adam, to Jesus. And although Lent began on Ash Wednesday, for many of us, this is our first opportunity to think about how we want to make our Lenten journey this year. During Lent, some people give things up, some people take things on, some people do both, some people do nothing in particular. But the key question, no matter what you take on or give up, I think is, what gives you life? What gives you life? Lent is a time to distinguish between what we think or what we are told will give us life and make us happy and give us peace and what truly will. In our world, peace and happiness always seems to be just beyond our reach, and yet they are always available to us. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, and yet 
They wanted more, the one thing they couldn't have. They missed the blessings that were all around them. They were chasing after the what if rather than recognizing and appreciating the what is. How can we recognize in this season the blessings that are already ours? And how can we live out of gratitude rather than out of our restless longings? However each of us make our way through this season, may we find contentment in what we have and do. May we love ourselves as God loves us. May we love and serve our neighbor. And may we choose gratitude and clothe ourselves in humility and receive God's peace. And finally, and at the last, may we lay down our desire, our illusions, the pressures to be like God and take up instead and embrace our identity as the beloved children of God that we are, which is all grace. Amen.